On the north side of Chicago It's the coolest bar in town And if you go up there You better just beware You're gonna find a bunch of clowns It's a mad, mad, crazy bar The whole damn place is just so bizarre Full of all the vice and sin Where do we even begin? Tip your bartenders. You have a great Guinness here. Oh, good. I'll tell them. Hi, everybody. This is Pub Crawl Liz with the Geriatric Genius and Clown for another episode of As the Ale House Turns. I am particularly excited about this uh, show because I was able to coerce. Uh, a human that I'm incredibly fond of, um, Colin Cordwell, who owns the Red Lion Pub in Lincoln Park, on uh, Lincoln, is here. Colin, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. I've, so much I'm honored coming. to be here, too. I'm on a work release program with, with my pub. Oh, is that what's that's on your ankle? That's right. No, oh. I, I'm, well, I, I'm not going to make You're any marital getting all tangled in the wires. Exactly. <laughs> Um, I've been a big fan of Colin and his bar uh, pretty much since I was legal to drink. Probably before you were legal. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. There's a liquor store. Remember that liquor store across the street? Oh, that, yeah. That's where we used to go Remember in high school. the Greek guy. No, the in, uh, Hindu brothers. Yes. Well, that, was, that was one place we knew in high school where we could go buy some booze. Always. No, they were Greek. They were Greek. Um... But I uh, was visiting the Red Lion uh, in its original form and visit the Red Lion now in its modern form. But uh, before we get rolling, um, I always like to start out with uh, having you tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, where you grew up, how you grew up, your parents, all that good stuff so that people have a little understanding of who, who you are. Well, I, I am a, I'm like Pip in Great Expectations by Dickens. I'm a boy of the neighborhood. I grew up in this, in this area. I was educated in this area. I reached my degeneracy in this area. And I've had my bar in this area for 36 years. And I've been in the bar business 43 years, basically in this area. And I used to drink in the Old Town Ale House 40 years ago. Um, wow. Uh, and, and it's always been one of my favorite places. Talk about degenerates. Yeah. Well, my father was was a was a prominent architect, and he designed a series of buildings not far from here, Sandberg Village. And uh, he, he was the architect for that. And uh, like any good architect, he donated his ego to the University of Chicago School of Psychiatry when he passed away. And they've got it in a box next to Harry Weiss's uh, uh, down there. But I know this area very well, and I've been uh, I've been in the business literally since 1963. Uh, I, if I grew up during the time of Mad Men. Uh, yeah. My dad used me as a bartender for his parties. He painted a little mustache on my lip and put a little bow tie on my shirt, and had I made my first old fashioned in 1963. Wow! I never touched a drink till I was nine. Um, at what, what bars were you doing that at? Uh. Well, I was at home. I was, I was bartending for my dad Your at his dad. parties. But the first bar I ever worked at legally was Mel Marcon's. Uh, was that? In, in Lincoln Park. It was in the oh, web. It was a big place. It was. It was. Uh, he op- opened a. He opened a, a, a disco check on the north side on Rosemont, just south of Devon, called Xanadu's. And I. It was during the golden age of herpes. And. And. Uh, we made all these weird cocktails. I was 21 years old, and I was bartending on the corner of Broadway and Rosemont. And then I moved down to Lincoln Park, and uh, Mel Marcon's was in the Webster Hotel. And oh, was, yeah, I remember it well. It was a wonderful place. Great borscht. Great, late night. It was a 4 o'clock place. And uh, I, I, that, that's where the journey, the legal journey began. Yeah. And then your dad eventually opened up a bar. My dad opened the Red Lion uh, with me and my uh, former business partner, my brother-in-law, in 1984. And it was, no, we, they, everybody thought we were nuts opening up an English pub in a town full of American Irish. Uh, and it was like it was like being the bastard of the family picnic, you know. 
but we cast our crumbs upon the water and they came back cake. Uh, Barbara Gaines did her first show. We, we gave the naissance of the Chicago Shakespeare uh, repertory company at the Red Lion. They did Henry V, or as we say in the Argo of the Barwell, Hank the Sank. And uh, uh, it became basically a writers and an actors bar. It was a country western saloon before we took it over. It's called Dirty Dance. And it was the only place where rats died of food poisoning. And it took us three months to clean the place before we could start working on it. Really? Yeah, it was a building that was built in 1881. It probably should have been torn down during the Second World War. And uh, we, we, we opened up we opened up a... Uh, Speaking of World War. Uh, we opened up a... Uh, um, the English pub, because my dad always wanted to own an English pub. And we sort of cast our crumbs upon the water and they came back cake. Um, well, I mean, you're obviously, it, it, uh, it was a success because you're still around and much, much because of your hard work. You it's it's really, fun. it's really the only nice bar left on Lincoln Avenue. Yeah. There were a couple nice ones for a while. In fact, the guy that original uh, owner of the, creator of the Ale House, uh, Van Gelder, he, he thought everything was moving up to Lincoln Avenue, that part of Lincoln Avenue, and he sold the Ale House to a total loser named Joe Diaz. And the, he opened the barley corn up there. Yeah. And there was that's uh, it, right. And Sturgis, Sturgis was, well, that was <laughs> the cocaine bar of choice up there. But uh, <laughs> and then across the street was um, was uh, Oxford's uh, Mar Marty, Oxford. Sin Marty Sinclair's. Joy. Great place. Yeah, that was a, it. Was a four o'clock. You know, that's when we had characters. You know, there are no characters anymore. It seems like everybody's one and a half dimensions or something like that. <laughs> well, the characters seem to die quickly. <laughs> well, we're left. Yeah, we're left. But I'm looking around. Well, well, well I, I call us the Coelacan Society. You know. Uh -oh. It's a by We got turned off. Well, uh, I'll, gonna, I'll wave. Uh, I'll just wave uh, Elvis in a minute, and he can do it for us. But we can keep chatting. We'll take care of it. Well, I call, right. I call the Coelacan Society. Anybody, you know, that prehistoric fish they still find off of South Africa that's been around for 5 million years. Anybody who's been in the bar business longer than 40 years, you know, we're yeah. still we're still standing. Well, that was when, like, Lincoln Avenue was full of, like, all the hippies. It was very bohemian. Right? It was, so it was, it was like more, that, old town was more kind of, of an extension of, like, uh, Old town here. kind of moved to Lincoln Avenue. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. That's exactly right. And they had the Biograph, the old Biograph Theater, and right. then they opened... In fact, June Picasso opened uh, Kingston's Mine, Kingston Mine. All kinds of great stuff was happening there, and um, yeah, it was a real happening place. Um, yeah, I remember. I we remember. had the Holsteins. We had uh, somebody else's troubles. Foxtrap. Um, Steve all that's... Goodman, Bonnie Kolak. Uh, well, they they, they they all kind of got going over at Earl's right. and then moved up to Lincoln Avenue. When did all that start to really change? Uh. Because when I was, I remember Late when 70s. I was, yeah, because when I was like, early I, 80s, when I was wandering around uh, Lincoln Avenue in like the mid to late 80s, I don't even remember half of those bars, like seeing them. I definitely remember seeing Sturges, I but drank at Sturges. Sturges, yeah. You know. Bob was a nice guy. Red Lion. <clears throat> um, but that's kind of all I actually remember. Well, there, no, John Barleycorn, of course. There were some big ones. There were some big ones going on. It was really jumping over down there. It was. Now, it's, it's Colin. That's it. You know what? I, know. I I've counted. I'm literally. I am literally Lloyd the bartender in The Shining. Uh, I've been there about a hundred years. I'm not even sure whether I'm not a, not a ghost or not. Uh, I knew I was old when girls were nice to me. <laughs> Started calling you sir. Yes. Instead uh, of no, asshole. Uh, no. Well, I, I leave that for home. You know, but. Uh, uh, um, it, I've counted about 45 bars that have come and gone since I've been there. I'm kind of like the time machine. Yeah. But uh, I, 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 I take this business seriously. Uh, I, I really do. It's it's more than just opening up a bar. And we have a the, the new Red Lion is. Uh, I had no idea what it was going to look like. I tore the building down and, and put up a new building. And it came to me one night. I was going to turn it into a library museum. And we have a phenomenon called books. 
And uh, I designed the back bar myself, which Bruce, you've seen the back bar. It's all books. Oh, and I, I love it. And I've got the the, bo the bottles underneath. And, that, and we had two examples of books uh, this weekend. Uh, these guys came in. Uh, they, they saw the books. And, and it was like holding a cross in front of a vampire. Uh, they turned around, and they were out of there. Kryptonite. Go the kids with their heads gone. turned backward. Kryptonite. Abso absolutely. Yeah. They were out of there like a set of jumper cables at a, at a Lithuanian wedding. <laughs> we, yeah. we, we use opera. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, it's, it's wonderful. It, yeah. it, it, it does. It's, oh, they, they so can't take it. that gives you great joy to see those knuckleheads just exit? Oh, oh it's joyous. You know, joy. some of these people, I wonder why their fathers couldn't have pulled out. Well, that's no. why I always supported abortion on demand up until the 18th year. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> uh, oh, that's good. I love it. So, okay, let's get back to, to the origins of the bar, though. Why, why did your dad want to open an, a British pub of all things? Well, he was English. Yeah. You know, and, I, and I've had English people come in and they say, so why the British theme? Are you English? I say, no, look. And I open my mouth. <laughs> You can't tell that anymore, though. No, some I, of the younger British people actually have normal teeth. Yeah, I don't but know you, what know, that you know what, Bruce? A thousand-mile journey begins with a first step. Even British dental health, you know. And when my cousin, my generation, when they smile at you, it's like looking through the gates of an unkept cemetery. You know? I have one of the, but genetics returns like a hiving bee, and I've got one of those English noses you could suck the guts out of a pumpkin through a knot hole. All right, so your dad's British, and he's like, I'm going to open this British pub. My mom was an anthropologist. They met in Nigeria, in West Africa. So I'm a product, I, come by it honestly, I'm a product of English colonialism, yeah. you know, yeah. with teeth. Aren't we all? Yeah, yeah well, basically, we, yeah, we really that's, a good, that's an excellent we point. We really are. Yeah, I, mine was a little further yeah. Uh, east. East, yeah. But my mother was a great cook, <laughs> and a lot of our original recipes were what my mom used to oh, cook cool. for my dad. In England, there are 60 different religious sects and only one sauce, you know, and, and that's actually gotten better. You know, there's an old expression, the French live to eat and the English eat to live. And, and, uh, but what well, you know, when you, go to, when you go to London now, you can get good food. Of course, yeah. I always eat Indian or something uh, like absolutely. that. Absolutely. But, uh, I mean, and the English breakfast is actually okay. Well, you know, Somerset Mom once said, to eat well in England, you have to have breakfast three times a day. Well, I mean, that, that, that's better than some places I've been. Mm -hmm. You know, we're I'm, uh, at my age, I'm more like Gene Wilder in Blazing Saddles. No thanks, food makes me sick. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's a good movie. That's a, you can't make it today. You know, I just found out that uh, recently... That when uh, Mel Brooks rode up as a Jewish Indian chief, yeah. they managed to translate in Lakota Sioux on his headdress, Happy Passover. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I knew everything about that movie. I'm still finding stuff out of it. Mel Brooks has been very, very vocal about uh, political correctness fucking everything up. As he's absolutely yeah. right. Yeah, I couldn't agree with him more. No, we've lost our sense of humor. Right. When well, you lose your sense of humor, you've lost your sense of civilization. Well, Clown and I both have the same theory. If it's funny, it's funny. And if it's about a child molester and it's funny, and it's funny. And also, never apologize. Don't ever apologize. Yeah. If you're, if you're a comedian, never apologize. Never, exactly. Well, if you're just a you're citizen. Just, they smell a blood. Citizen. They smell you know, blood. You know, it's funny. I said something off-color one time at my bar, and this guy said, I've never been so insulted in my life. I said, well, it's early yet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll try to do better. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, God. I'll, I'll try to do better. <laughs> Some of these people, I don't, you know, and they're registered to vote, too. Yeah. You know, oh, a, and they do, and not only that, they reproduce. Yes, yeah, they do, yeah, yes. A, Which is amazing to me. You know, it's, it's yeah. like D.H. Lawrence said, he was amazed that the English could reproduce that at all because their smoke was so watery, you know, they, they thought, how does anything stick? You know, <laughs> but that was back in the 1920s, yeah. Um. So... I, one of the things, you know, I'm a regular at both of these locations, right? And I go to the bars, I go to the Ale House, I go to the Red Lion because you are each there. But what fascinates me is that you are each a part of your establishments in just the complete opposite. Oh, you're you're, you're ways. comparing us as entrepreneurs? <laughs> no, let's not get ahead of ourselves. He okay. kn Bruce knows what he's doing. Yeah. I don't. Oh, oh, really? <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> you know, I, I'm, I'm mild goring it. I'm micromanaging too much. Whereas I, I can walk into the red line. I know Colin's going to be behind the bar. He's one of the best barkeeps I've ever encountered. He's, he's good with customers. He knows how to listen. He can interact. He's thoughtful. He's, he's working. The, in other words, the opposite of me. I'm never behind the bar. I'm yes, not thoughtful, I and I can't interact with the customers. Exactly. You're more just like the mascot. Well, you know what? Maybe you're doing something I want to tell people. Go fuck yourselves. <laughs> I, I, I do tend to do that. <laughs> That's all right. Yes, yes, he does. Yeah. But, I mean, your, your perspectives on bar life, bar culture, especially in Chicago, especially in, in Lincoln Park, Old Town, I mean, they're very, obviously, you guys, there's, there's so many shared stories, there's so many similar experiences, you know, but it's just interesting that you guys are on opposite sides of the bar. Well, we do. Hopefully, we'll do another one this year. Pretty much every year, we do a show with Rick Kogan um, yeah. over, over at uh, uh, you do it with WGN. Um, 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 with uh, Jeff from uh, the, uh, the former bartender. Jeff at, McGill. At Billy, yeah, who, who the Billy who, who's probably the, who's actually trained as a psychologist. The Hall oh, of God. the Hall it's of Fame bartender. bartender. He really is. Jeff yeah. is a oh, what yeah. a wonderful guy. And it's fun. And, and then, of course, God knows Koga's been in enough bars all the yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, over his, his life. So, what do you like? What do you see as like some common themes when you guys all get together to have these conversations about being in bars for so Basically long? Basically, how stupid and what asshole people are, and how <laughs> things are all fucked up now, and we're much better when we were younger. Yeah, well, it's, it's true. You know, it, it's like Dr. Johnson said, a man who can see both sides of an argument is called a humorist. You're forced into it in this business. I have to listen to so much shit, so much, like Bruce, knows, you know, it's, it's the stuff that comes out of people's mouths. Yeah, I mean, and, you're really not in a position to go tell them that you know, mother's a whore and their father sucks cock, yeah. which is... Yeah, and as your head turns around, you know, yeah. and, and somebody's sprinkling you with the holy water, you know, but, but, but it, it's a very, very... It, it's different. It's very different than where it was 40 years ago. But in many ways, it's the same. Bars have been bars since Rome. Yeah, but right. now, now when you walk in and you see 20 flat screen TVs, Jesus Christ! Well, there, I am completely with you. You know what I call those? I call those laboratories for attention deficit disorder. And I had a couple in uh, yesterday. They left because there was no sports. I said, well. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you go down the street, and my, you know, I, I don't serve certain drinks. You know, I don't have drink special. You know, they say, what's your drink special? I said, uh, I have a, a, a special, I have three. One's called a pile driver. What's that? It's uh, vodka and prune juice. <laughs> and I also call it a Leon Trotsky. Uh, then I have a Liz Taylor, which is, uh, you put it in a rocks glass. It's old Taylor on the bottom with anything on top. I did that in honor of her 10th wedding. And these kids don't get it. You know, no, it's, 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 it's just complete. I spend, I spend so much time doing remedial parenting, I can't even tell you. And I said, where the hell were you the first 20? Who was watching you for the 20, first 20 years? There's a great word in Yiddish. It's called zugablizina. And it means left alone too long as a child. You know? <laughs> you know, when you and I were 28, we were 28. We weren't 18. Yes, I agree with that. Oh. Well, you know what you do. To, you, they have no sense of history. Uh -huh. I mean, you make references to World War II and everything. We know it. Yeah. I wasn't alive in World yeah. War II, but I know it. No, I was born <laughs> after World War II, but you know what? I nicknamed my wife Yamamoto because she always picks, picks a fight with me at dawn. You know? <laughs> you know? But, but, but you, you know, when we, when we were younger... We, we, I knew all the movie stars from the 40s. Yeah, and right. stuff. I, I watched exactly. old movies, and, right. and I knew, I knew, I could, I could sit down and talk to people. This, These fucking dumb fucks can't yeah, talk about this shit. Guy, this guy worked okay, today didn't know who Burt Reynolds was. Yeah, I mean, what are you gonna do with somebody like that? How's that possible? No, I'm telling you. And he was 30. You know, okay, oh, that, that, well, that's, you know, no, this, you know, this is a problem. Okay, this, no, no. But, no you, uh, but I will tell you one thing. I, I have enough of these young people who want to learn. And I, I, they come in, and I talk to them about movies. I, t I teach more history behind a bar and literature behind a bar than I ever did in a classroom. And, and I was a teacher for two years, and I was a much better teacher than I was a student. But they do find these people who do want to learn because there's, you know, it takes you thousands of years to get to where you are. You don't erase that overnight. And if there are glitches missing, even they inwardly know something's missing. 
And so if you can help them in their relations, if they say, what does this mean if she does this? What does this mean if he's not calling me back? You know, it's almost like, again, it's, it's like post-parenting. It really is. I, believe me, I have so many kids that, I, that I've adopted that aren't official. It's like a Native American tribe, you know. Even though they're not from your tribe, you take them in and you raise them. It's like little big man. Well, Liz, Liz is symptomatic of this generation with her goddamn nose and her goddamn phone. I mean, there, there, you, phone you, get, is on the you get on the L, you get on a, in a bus. Everybody's nobody reads books or a magazine. They got their. You should, you should see my car. I've got like 60 books in the back of my car right now, including a, a biography of George Raft. George, speaking of old-time actors. Oh my God! I wonder I how many young people know who he is. Oh, he was one of the best. I saw him do a TV show back in the 50s, Liberace and a couple of those other guys, and it was the second boy on the left, and they all say, I mean, God, was it great. I mean, it was probably somebody like Humphrey Bogart, George Raft. All those guys. I love them. You know know what's funny? I fill in a lot of these kids' educations with movies. I said, you have to watch Best Years of Our Lives. What's that? Well, one, my, my place is dedicated to World War I and World War II, so I tell them what that is, and they, and they, and they, and they know... Exa- that happens every time you mention the world wars. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you, you know what? I've learned to have my flatulence in, in, in brass. You know, so I just ate in a Mexican restaurant. So, you know, it, I'm like Le, I'm like Lepetamine, the famous vaude, uh, vaudeville star in France, who literally had a flatulence uh, contest uh, act, and uh, he could he could play songs. From flat, honest to God, look him up. No, Mel Brooks knew exactly what he was doing, because he he, he said uh, 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 all of his characters had historical references. Governor Lepetamine, you know, oh. uh, you know, uh, he had a, a flashlight act, and he played the Moulin Rouge between eight, uh, 1892 to 1914. Lepetamine. Well, that's very French. It is French. It is. It is they, French. they belong to the Dog Ate My Homework School of Foreign okay. Policy too. <laughs> Okay, wait, I'm with you guys on this whole issue, of course, right? You should have, be able to have this banter, and know, have all the knowledge about these old movies, old books, old, you know, Gross. moments in history. It's important. However, I will say, are you able to hold a conversation, though, with younger people and talk about modern era pop culture? Uh, I really can't even do that. But maybe we should no, educate ourselves for no, that. No, no. Never. No, not in a million years. No. Wait, why? You know what? Because Justin Bieber? Is that how you pronounce his name? You know what? You know, you know the most pre- well, prescient writer in the last hundred years was H.G. Wells. He wrote The Time Machine. And he talked about the Eloy. All their books had turned to dust. They didn't want to work. They All they wanted to do was be fed. And the other group were the Morlocks, and they were breeding them to eat. And I will tell you, this generation are, are very interesting people but they're very they're a bit stringy and tough to chew i i concur i concur with that for sure i just uh i'm wondering if we should also make an effort to well why don't you make the effort for us to know them a little bit why should we do that I mean, if there was anything going, if well, no, if they were doing they, any, why should they make the effort? Well, if they're, they're not making the effort. No, but if so there was anything talented or artistic or interesting, yeah, that's my biggest criticism, and I'm sure Colin has a problem with this too at the bar. Right. There's no characters walking in anymore. Yeah, yeah. I agree with that. The right. old, the old you know guys. What? The sad thing is, you got to inter- interject character. If you can, you know, I give them books to read. I give them music to listen to. You know, I, I, I'm. Well, sick. you try to help. You know, you can all, but you know, then there's that on one side, and the other side, you know, you can't put in what God left out. You know, uh, it, they either have it, or they don't have it, and it, and this is the product you're seeing from our contemporary educational system over the last 35 years. You know, certain it's a there's a kind of a pulpotism. Well, I think it's cultural too, because yeah. I mean, when I was a kid back in the 60s, came around the Yale House. There, I mean, there was legend. These were legends. Yes. I mean, wits and some, the most vicious homosexuals that ever drew breath. I, I studied it. I mean, I learned from them. They were masters. Gore Vidal. Uh, well, uh, Gore Vidal, on, uh, on, on, as far as a uh, one on TV. Uh, who, was, who was one of the beat poets? Uh, what's his name? Uh, uh, Alec, Alec Ginsberg? Yeah, Ginsberg. Yeah, another one. Yeah, exactly. I was just telling somebody... Um, 
Lazar, I don't know if you remember Lazar. He used to be around years ago. Lazar was great. Yeah. I love Lazar. Well, Lazar and I, in 68, in the De uh, Democratic Convention, Lazar was a good photographer. He actually made a living doing that back in New York, I think, for a couple of years. But during the convention, we went out, it was like, I think, a Monday. We went out in the park to see what was going on. It was crazy. I mean, there was thousands and thousands of people. And we were out there for two, three hours walking around. So we thought, well, we'll come back and get a beer. Nothing's going on yet. Walked in the barn. Lazar's got his camera sitting at that first stool with Jean Genet, the French right. writer. Ginsburg, oh no, yeah, Alan Ginsburg was, no, Mailer was sitting next to him. Then Jose Torres, the former light heavyweight boxing champion. Ginsburg, Gregory Corso, Paul Krasner from The Realist. Right, there was a Hall of Fame line. Yeah. And Lazar never took the picture. I mean, can you imagine when they have that picture now? God. Yeah. It's, like, it's like dropping a ball to Babe Ruth hitting into the right center, you know. Or throwing it back on the field if you're, you're a Cup fan. Kind of <laughs> well, that's true, too. Well, I mean, I feel like the, the, this goes back to your technology point, Bruce, that you don't have characters like that because people don't go out as much anymore because they're just sitting on their couch talking to anybody and everybody they want to. They've been from mesmerized. They yeah, I think there's TV. some audio-visual thing took took over in that because, right. yeah, people don't read. But you can connect no. with people electronically now. So but why everybody, go out to the damn bar? Everybody... In our generation, we went to the movies. You went, you went well, yeah, to the goddamn. See, like, and like guess Netflix what? is killing. And that, guess what? Right? It was a big theater. You could actually sit down. That's and right. They weren't pulverizing your eardrums with shit. I mean, it was great. But see, you hate doing that now. Now you prefer to sit because, on your couch and watch because, Netflix. Because, because, because I got borderline autism and I can't take that all sensory overload. And I got schizophrenia. <laughs> Rosa, are red, violets are blue. I'm schizophrenic, and so am I. <laughs> Two can live as cheaply as one. You never know which Colin you're gonna get when you show up with a red light. <laughs> no, but Bruce is absolutely correct. You know, it's, we live in a different age, and it's not, it's not necessarily a good age. You know, well, it's not producing real interesting people. No, it's not. Do you, do you still get, do you still get uh, leftover regulars from the original Red Lion? I do. Yeah, uh, those that are still alive. Yeah. Yeah. Um, or, or that weren't forced still... to move a million miles away. Well, a lot of them did. They went yeah, out to the suburbs. Financially, yeah. They yeah. still sit in the corner reading their paper and stuff? They do. They come to the bar and read. I, I got a generation of kids who come in and they want to read. And they want to, they ask, believe me or not, I got more than a handful of kids who come in and they read and they ask me questions and say, what do you think of this? And what? I say, come here, I want to show you. And I take them to the front room and I showed them the first world war room and I said you cannot you cannot understand a lot of this world today unless you understand this conflict and I give them a list of books to read and all this so you know so you do wind up teaching and mentoring to a certain degree you know and the thing is and, and Bruce knows it, in this business you got to wear so many hats you know, people say, I, I think it'd be fun to open up a bar. I, uh, no, you, no. Oh, what? I, no. I, don't you hear that a lot? Oh, 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 oh. What, you know fun. what? I said, what you're, fun? I said, I said, you know what? You're an asshole. You, know? <laughs> you have no idea what you're talking about. You know what? Sure, it'd be a lot of fun to be a race car driver, too, but I'd probably yeah. kill myself. Yeah, you know? the people ask me for business advice, which is absolutely hilarious. You? Yeah, because I, I don't. I said, I can only tell you one thing. Own the fucking place because if you don't own it, you're fucked. You're fucked. You're exactly. fucked. They just raise a rent. I own mean, if building, you're good, yeah. exactly. Yeah, you got to own the building. Right. That's the only advice I can give you because I don't know. I couldn't tell one bar, one <laughs> bottle back there from another. You know, I don't know. Oh, that's true. <laughs> you know, I, I tell people avoid two, buying two things: guns and bars. Although I can kill more people with a bar than I can with a gun. A gun is much. A bar is much more accurate. <laughs> what's the um? What's the thing that people come in to bitch about the most? Uh, their lives, you know, they're, they're not happy. Work or personal? Per, uh, uh, well, their work, which is a personal choice that they fucked up in, and, and their, their, their choice in life, the person they've been with. Yeah. And I've tried to get many, uh, you know, after listening to so many people's marital problems, I'd say easily 50% I've tried to get, uh, settle down and get a divorce. Yeah, pussy is the age-old problem. <laughs> no, uh, well, I get chased by girls now, but not while I'm awake. Yeah. <laughs> um, so for those, uh, uh, well, I'm at a I'm at a stage in life. It takes me all night to do what I used to do all night. <laughs> for those uh, listeners who may have not been to the Red Lion since its new iteration, can yes. you um, just sort of 
describe it a little bit? Because you're talking about the front room, the World War Two, uh, World Go, War One room, and then imagine the Regenstein Library with a service bar, and that's it. <laughs> at the University so you, of Chicago. Yeah, yeah, that's a great concept. Yeah. So some donor. That would be a great idea. There's yeah. there's three sections to the bar. bar. Um, the front room, which the front room, is dedicated to World the front War room, uh, the midsection, which is all World War II, and people are brought in photographs of their fathers and grandfathers who served in World War One and World War Two. I had a guy in uh, a week and a half ago, Bruce. He's he's giving me a stepfather's uh, uniform from World War Two. Oh wow! He was an ensign in the Navy. He was in uh, the D-Day invasion, uh, and he served in the Pacific too. And he said, and they showed he showed me a photograph of him. When he died, he was stretched out in it, and uh, he said, I'm not going to burn him in that. I'll take it off, and then we'll, we'll cremate him. And he said, I want to give you the uniform. He's giving me a 48-star flag. It's, it, the Red Lion is basically like a Native American burial ground. Uh, you know, you come in, there's a new trinket left, uh, and it's more like a memorial park as much as anything else. And I had just happened to serve booze and food. And for, for those uh, also and, and if you want to learn about history, you want to learn about where you are, you, you know, come in. I'll be happy to tell you about it. What I know, it's right. just one man's opinion. And it's not necessarily right, but it's one man's opinion. Um, and while you have been very vocal about the fact that, you know, these two world wars are these important conflicts to, to learn about in order to understand a lot of aspects of, of the world and of life, but there's also a personal connection yeah. to these, right? Well, well, my father is in one corner. Uh, he was one of the forgers in the Great Escape, the actual Great Escape. My dad was a British pilot, and uh, he was a bombardier and a navigator, and he flew about 12 missions before he was shot down. It was my grandfather's stories, and my grandfather's in the front room. He served at Gallipoli in the First War in, the, in a British regiment, and he was, he was shot three times, bayoneted once, and had typhus and survived. The greatest anti-war song, Waltzing Matilda. Waltzing Matilda, absolutely. The greatest. Absolutely. Sing and it. it brings tears to my eyes to yep, sing it. every time. You know what? And most of Western Australia was wiped out at Gallipoli. Oh, man. It was terrible. It was that, but that song says anybody who wants to enlist after that. Yeah, exactly. My, uh, my grandfather landed at Suvla in August 1915. He was immediately shot by a Turkish sniper. And uh, he had two brothers killed at Passchendaele, the Third Battle of Eves, and they're in the front room, too. And uh, you know what? It's like uh, Wolfred Owen said in Dolce de Cor Mest. Which uh, is probably the best anti-war, First World War, anti-war poem. My friend, you would not tell to youth desperate for some ardent glory the old lie, Dolce Do de, de Cor Mest. See, I would say Dolce, because <laughs> I can't do he's got pro, it right. Pro, pro patria mori. Yeah. And, uh, it Christ is sweetened. It is sweet, it, how sweet to die for one's country. country. And uh, I had Christopher Hitchens in one night. I like Christopher Hitchens really? in. Really? Yeah, and he and I spent an hour and a half talking about First World War poetry, and then we went into Second World War poetry. And Christopher did a, a recitation of Dolce de, de Cormest. It was brilliant. I started doing it with him, and he it's went really like really a great poem. He, he held his finger up towards me, and I went, I, I, I said, yep, you do it. This is your spotlight. He did, it was wonderful. Huh. And I actually had a chance to meet the son of one of the poets of the First World War. I met George Sassoon, the son of Siegfried Sassoon, who was one of the great poets. And he was the poet who convinced Owen to write his poetry. And, be and Owen became the greatest of all the World War I poets. And, and George looked exactly like his father. And it was like meeting the son of Byron. And I asked him, and I knew his father had a relationship with a young man named Stephen Tennant. And I was amazed to meet George. And I said, George, you know, I was trying to be diplomatic about it. I said, George, you know, your father must have been awfully long in the tooth when you came along. And his verbatim reply to me was, well, he was actually. Uh, mother and followed a cocktail party. Uh, father was a bit acy-doocy at the time. Mother convinced him to go the other way, and I arrived shortly thereafter. <laughs> and I thought, how British. You know. Well, so speaking of, of famous uh, British po poets, Stephen Spender grabbed my dick at the old alehouse. Uh, that's amazing. You know, he, was, he was teaching at Northwestern, and a guy I knew was a customer, a guy, real fun, a guy named Brian Johnson, who was an Ibsen expert. He was teaching over there, and he brought him. He says, Bruce, just behave, okay? Of course. And then Spender sat down next to me, and about a minute later, he grabbed your chopper? Yeah, he's sitting there with his hand on I said, Excuse me, Stephen, your, your hand's on my dick. Ooh. You know, guy got kind of like. Uh, you know, a bit of a left-hander, was yeah. he? But yeah. then I had Bert Tilstrom's hand on my dick about two weeks later. The puppy, the Kukla Fran and Ollie. 
maybe it, it looked familiar. Or. I don't know. I was well, I was a young young he lad. Has kukla on your ollie. I was a young yeah. lad. It's, it's nice to know that people have been telling you to behave for a long time. Oh, yeah, but I always tell them I can't. Yeah. Well, you know, the funny thing is, you spend your second half of your life trying to get over the first half of your life. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh, that is so true. It is. You oh. know, it's. Uh, what was it George Marshaw said? Uh, youth is wasted on the young. Yeah. You know, when you get to our age, you know, well, you, you know, I'm closer to my death than I am to my birth. And what I, I tried to tell my son, uh, you know, he looks at me and he rolls his eyes, and I said, you know, Jack, uh, you know, I didn't never tell you this. My great grandfather roomed with Mark Twain. Really? Yeah. He said he was the laziest man he ever met in his life. <laughs> but Twain had so many great aphorisms. One of them was. I left home when I was 13 because my dad was so ignorant I couldn't stand to be around him. I came home when I was 21. I was amazed how much he'd learned since I'd been away. <laughs> That's funny. Um, okay, so you've got uh, front room World War One, and then the main bar is World War Two. World and War Two. I, I, my kind of little personal cozy favorite places upstairs the africa room right which yeah is there's a special your, yeah took, dedicated to your mom i yes. took rock and roll ruth there on her first day colin yeah. wasn't there i thought he'd be but yeah it's where i took her i took her it was kind it's of a cozy nice cozy spot yeah I, I in the old days they used to call that a launching space for uh, a, a launching pad for guided muscles <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah, so your mom was an anthropologist. Yes, and, uh, she studied did... under Melville Herskovitz at Northwestern. She was an authority in West African art. My parents met at a cocktail party in Abaddon, Nigeria. Uh, they fell in love. My father was escaping his first wife, who he had divorced on the grounds of physical cruelty. She used to beat the living crap out of him, and uh, much like a woman I knew, uh, who I dated years ago when I used to come into the Old Town Ale House. Morgan, Morgan, I talk to Morgan all the time. I love Morgan. On Facebook. I, I mean, she, she's I guess she, she has to go away for rests periodically. She's, she's the best. Oh, speaking uh, of no, Morgan. No, she was cruel to me. She's my mentor. She's my mentor. Um, yeah. Well, Morgan, yeah, Morgan was she real was, hot. She, she was, was very a, hot. She, she was a beautiful. Yeah, she was very Brilliant, hot. brilliant woman. A Hawkeye used to tap that occasionally, oh, too. He's, he's telling some great Morgan stories. Oh, my God. The only bar fight I've ever gotten in my life. Was, well, she started. She many. started. I was 21 years old. She started it, and I had to finish it. And I beat the living shit out of some guy in front of the podium at uh, Xanadu. At, <laughs> Xanadu. You know, oh, she, Morgan was a naughty girl. Oh, no, she, you know what? Her urine could etch glass. <laughs> she, she, you know what she was fucking back in her prime was... Ike Pappas on CBS. Who was a nice man. He was, was, a, yeah, he was a pretty nice guy, guy but boy, there. she had a... She, she, was, she was the most, one of the most brilliant people I've ever met in my life. And she taught me. She taught me. She said, Colin, follow the old Native American warrior credo. If you don't know how to attack, stand still. Let the situation unfold itself and then make your move. And boy, yeah, She's the one who started the fight and you had to finish it? Oh, yeah. Well, well this guy was an asshole. <laughs> I, think, I think Rick might have tapped that a little too. Yeah. Oh, God. You know, you know, everybody you was can't there. speculate. You know, well, I'm, I'm speculating right now. You know, I, I won't say that about her, but I know girls who are like <laughs> village bicycles. Everybody got a ride. You know? <laughs> we were just talking about someone like that. Weren't we last week? I don't um, remember. I got married out of exhaustion. <laughs> I got married not to have sex. Well, that's a good that's a good move. Yeah. You're tired of sex, get married. You know what? Well, it's the thing. My cardiologist asked me to list all my medications. I said, I'm taking 25 micrograms of metropol. I'm taking 40 micrograms of Lipitor. And I'm taking 100 micrograms of noacetol. And he goes, noacetol? What's that? He goes, that's for married men. Yeah. He he eventually got used to me. You know, you know, in medical school, you have your your humanity kind of squeezed out of you, you know, and you have to have it inject. If you get a patient who's got a sense of humor, you can get it injected back into. Okay, so, yeah, let's get back to your upbringing. So you grew up around here. I did. I um, went to Francis Parker. I went to Lincoln Grammar School. I went to Francis Parker at Lincoln Grammar School and back to Francis Parker, and I was the first and last white vice president of the Black Students Union at Francis Parker in 1973. So they had black students in 73? They did, actually, and I majored in history and running out of gas at Foster and the Lake. Were, were, were any famous uh, people at Parker when you were there? Oh, yeah. Uh, David Mamet went there in the 60s. Oh, Jesus. Uh, Daryl Hannah yeah. was in eighth grade when oh, I was yeah, a senior. Daryl oh, Daryl Hannah, okay. Uh, uh, Jenny Beals was in Oh, seventh, Jennifer sixth, Beals. Sixth. Yeah, she was. her brother was in high school yeah, with me. Yeah, Parker was just filled with that stuff. Oh, yeah. I had a, I a number Flash of, Dance went to Parker. We had Parker. a number of famous historians and writers and... 
Uh, yeah, I always love Mamet playing the street, oh, Chicago hate, street. Yeah, I, I love the ground he walks on, but <laughs> playing this tough, you know, tough. He fucking little, he's a little fucking no, me, namby-pammy little pussy boy from uh, Francis Park. Well, you know what? The thing is, is that always listen to people tell you what they're about and then reverse it, and that's what's going on. Yeah. You know, the guys who get laid a lot, they never talked about it. One, we're too exhausted, you know. Well, also, war so, heroes. War heroes don't, heroes, talk, they about don't talk about it. No, it's only the fucking gutless yellow cowards running away that are I will, talk about I will, all their I will, relatives. I will tell you one thing. You, know, you don't hear me talking about my war hero exploits, well, do you? No. Uh, oh. You should tell Colin about the one time you were uh, at the What's It, the, the music school. Juilliard? Yeah. No, I don't I want to hear it. It's too depressing. I met a Medal of Honor winner. He got the Medal of Honor on Okinawa. Uh, he threw himself on a Jap hand grenade and saved eight of his squad. And they gave him the Medal of Honor. I shook what was left of his hand, and he was partially blind. And I said, sir, I'm honored to meet you, to hear your story, and thank you for your service. And he looked at me and goes, well, I probably didn't deserve this medal. Of course, I got a case of clap once. I didn't deserve that either. <laughs> I, I wanted to hug him, you know. And those are the guys, like you said, Ruth. Yeah, they, they don't talk, talk about, about it. it. Yeah, my uncle Jerry was on uh, the uh, Normandy land. He never talked about. It. I when he at his funeral, he, there was a couple of his old military buddies were there. Is he ever talked? No. One of them said, "No, no. I was there. I came there two days later, and I just went up over the bluff and saw all the crosses and shit." He wouldn't talk about it. Uncle Jerry wouldn't talk about it. One of the few things my father talked about, he talked about prisoner of war life, but I, he, he talked about he was the unofficially the first man to break the four-minute mile. Really? Uh, yeah, during the Battle of Britain. He was stationed at Northfield Air Base, and he got chased down a runway by a Messerschmitt 109 German fighter plane. He was on foot, and he swears he caught up with the truck going 60 miles an hour. I said, did you jump in the back of the lorry, Dad? He goes, no, I bloody well passed it. It was going too slow. <laughs> he said the only thing that left a contrail on that runway was him. He said fear is a great motivator. He said, but he did say it wasn't by accident they give you brown flight suits. <laughs> okay, so after uh, high school, what happens to Colin? I crammed four years of college into six at the University of Indians and Chinese, UIC. UIC. Where was it at? Where was it at then? Uh, it was down where it is now. Oh, they, it is. They call okay. it Circle Campus. Yeah, it moved over there like uh, in the late uh, 50s. We had a right? phenomenal history department. We had the 14th ranked history department in the United States, and I, I studied with some real superstars. I'll tell you what. The the people that went to the old Navy Pier UIC. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my God, they deserved. Purple Hearts, they Combat Pay. Yes, I mean, they did, because it was, a, it was rough. Oh, it, man, it, floods, pile drivers. That was, a, <laughs> that, that was Mayor Daly's idea of higher education. Oh, yeah. I remember Daly was once asked about Dan Walker. and The man had more chins than the Shanghai phone book. And he said, what, 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 what do we got here, a regular Herman Goebbels? I loved I, I really starting to miss old man. I, I he, was a he was a character. Yeah, he's and if you'd listen to him with those jowls going, he could. Uh, say, Did you ever think of that? No, you never thought of that. No, that's what he would say. I, 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 one, I, I gotta one, go back and listen to this. Oh my stuff. god! One, one time, uh, some reporter asked him a really pointed, personal question. He goes, "No, what kind of a question is that? Now I want you to take your pencil and your notebook and go into the hallway, and I want you to stay there." And I want you to sit there until you can think of a good question. And then you can come back in here. And, you, and, and then you can ask it. Maybe and I'll answer when, when Queen Elizabeth and, and oh, Philip came over from... Yeah, they, I was 15. They came over from Canada. They were, they, by boat, they get off at Buckingham Fountain. There's a huge thing. And Daly's there. He's like, the, the machine, what the fucking king and queen? But anyway, Daly greets and says, Welcome to Chicago. Mr. and Mrs. Queen. <laughs> I mean, the guy was incredible. Then McHugh used to tell me all this shit because he was Big covering John City Hall. Yeah, yeah. And, he's and he's studying, he's studying, uh, you know, I mean, uh, he, he, he's, you know, he's had all the press press briefings and stuff like this. And Daly comes in one day after lunch and says, what a truly great city we live in. I saw a couple young lovers drive by in a tantrum. 
You know, I mean, it's just... He forgot. Would, and he they had said, these malaprops. And they tried to say, justify it, say, well, his parents never talked to him. That's why he talks like that. Well, I could... But then what about his fucking retarded kids? They all talk like it, too. Maybe he didn't talk to him. I don't know. Forever blazing saddles. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, in Chicago. Yeah. It's Chicago. Chicago. Yeah, I, I just think, every time a reporter would get him somebody, well, uh, seven of your, seven of aldermen are going to prison this week. No, no. Did you ever think of that maybe they're not going to prison? Did you ever think of that? No, you never thought of that. You never <laughs> yeah. thought of that. My, my dad was his first planning commissioner. My dad loved him. He said he was, was a great man. Oh, the people he, were loyal to him. He man. was. He, he was a great man of vision. Well, can you imagine being an Englishman and, a, and an Irish city no. hall? No. no. Oh, being the bastard of the family picnic again? Oh my God. Uh, well, so, well, speaking of McHugh, McHugh's Big brother. John McHugh. He, he had he had one of his brothers in town. He's had like eleven brothers, and one of them came over from Ireland. He wanted to go over and see McHugh's. Of course, got a major hangover, uh, hangover Sunday, but. His brother wants to go over and see uh, rugby or soccer or some shit over in, in the park. So they go over there, and a limousine pulls out of the grass. It's Mayor Daly. So McHugh's, you know, covering city. So he nods, and, and then his brother says, I'd like to meet, you know, well, Daly, like nothing, nothing better than Irishman. So McHugh goes over and introduces this is my brother, you know, whatever Irish name you want to. And Daly grabs, a, grabs his brother by his shoulder, but moves completely away for practically half the match he's talking to him the accused one oh god what the hell is going he comes back his brother says what a nice man he told me if i ever come to chicago come and talk to him and get me a job but that was him i mean the irish you know, oh, now, yeah now now you're loyal forever that's true although they do say yeah. the difference between the irish and chicago is the south side Irish think they're the smartest the west side Irish think they're the toughest the north side Irish think they're the british <laughs> Your um, your dad worked in the bar. Of he course. did. Well, he was the raconteur. He yeah. sat at the end of the bar. So he was clean like Bruce. Yeah, yeah that's my, that's my job. I'm no, the raconteur. Yeah. I I call my father the seventh Earl of Hemorrhoids. You know, <laughs> by primogenitor, I'm the eighth, eighth Earl, I guess. But my dad said he used to go to Berlitz to keep up his dialect. <laughs> but he always wore his ascot. You know, he had his hat, his RAF mustache. You know. Uh, Did he wear a lot of tweed? Uh, oh, always. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah he, he, he was. He had a he had a he had a mustache made out of tweed. Yeah, <laughs> I I love that tweed look. Oh, he was with the leather well, patches, well, yeah. uh, elbows. Bruce, what did they say? The key to success: look Irish, dress British, think Yiddish. <laughs> so he was in the bar all the time, chatting away with the patrons. He was a phenomenal raconteur. So would you say much like the way I truly believe that? Your bar is, is as successful as it is because it's so unique, not just in the uh, environment, but really because you're there, right? And, and, and people go in and chat with you. And you know what? It's like Bruce knows. Bruce is the face of the brand. And I, you know, with the whole Bourdain thing and all this other stuff, he was famous before that, but right. you will become the face of the brand. And people come in, is Bruce here? Is Colin right. here? You know, you know. If, we, we, I just need to ask him, you know, and I, I believe me, uh, you become an omniscient narrator in a novel. You, know, you become an omniscient narrator for people's lives. So was your you know. dad like that? Were people coming uh, in just to hang out? Oh, yeah. My dad, though, my dad was shameless. You know, you talk about a guy never getting a night out. He never got a night in. And, and, and he was, uh, he would, told me he was at a woman's house one time, and she said, my husband's home. He said, where's your back door? She said, there isn't one. He goes, where do you want it? <laughs> <laughs> that that also sounds I like Bruce. Couldn't, I almost couldn't get that out. <laughs> yeah, you know, oh, God. So was he a real ladies' man? Yeah, you could say that. Yeah, he was. He was you know, he was kind of shameless. I used to tell women when they left the bar, I'll wipe the fingerprints off before you go home. <laughs> you, know, you know, he was, you know, he was, uh, it was kind of a combination of, of, uh, uh, Mar Marcello Mastriano, Marcello Mar Mastriani, and Benny Hill. Oh God, yeah. <laughs> we were just talking about Benny Hill. God, I love Marcello. My, my he was how, my I idol. I was thinking how much I love Benny Hill. <laughs> I think I sold La Dolce Vita about ten Ooh. times when uh. I was a kid. I wanted to be Marcello, and I wanted to fuck Anita Ekberg. Oh. That's pretty much my ambition. That was what I wanted to be. Nothing, neither Gold. of them happened. Gold. You know what? There's still time. <laughs> we all we all have that fantasy. I, I think she died. 
Yeah, she did. Yeah. Uh, she was about 300 pounds. Uh, yeah, well, everything gets bigger, hairier, and closer to the ground. No matter no matter where it starts out from, you know, it's just physics. Erosion sets right in before your eyes. Yeah, you know. So. Um, the old Red Lion has some interesting stories yeah. about uh, the supernatural. Yes, yes. It was. It, let me tell you something physically about the old Red Lion. It was cold, drafty, moldy, smelly, damp, but it was unpleasant. <laughs> it should have been torn down during World War II, and it did have a ghost. It had carpeting. And it had carpeting, which should have been it. ripped out back in 1952. <laughs> At least when Perry Como was singing on TV, you know. Uh, but um, my dad figured, no, oh, we can we can fix this up and blah, 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 blah. And I accounted for the fact that I spent probably about $250,000 out of my own pocket keeping that place up physically for 24 years before I finally said, I am done. But uh, it did have a ghost, and the ghost is still there. Uh, it'll move furniture. Uh, I actually saw it on a closed circuit TV one time. Yeah. I saw this blue image behind the bar moving around, and uh, before Bruce rolls his eyes, uh, poltergeist. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, two can live as cheaply as one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's like H.P. Lovecraft said: just because we don't believe something doesn't exist, doesn't mean it doesn't exist. So you, I think I want to say you told me a story once about your dad and the ghost. Uh, it pushed him down the stairs. One time. Was there something about him? Uh, he showed up. He showed up in a photograph four years after that's his it, death. That's it. The photograph. At a party upstairs, I knew it was my dad because he had his hand on the woman's tit. <laughs> and the woman who t- took the picture said, "I had that same image on three different cameras. You can clearly see my dad's face, his ascot, and uh, his ascot. You know, his mustache. You can see everything. And the Aramaic word for death, and which was the language of the Christ." And it's still the language of the Assyrian people is Malapta, and literally translated means not here, present elsewhere. So I, I'm a true believer that, you know, we're spirits having a human experience, not humans having a spiritual, spiritual experience. All this stuff is just circuses, you know. Yeah. This, is, this is people creating memories. You right. Know? And if you can help people out with their problems, that's great. If not, you tell them to fuck off. So you know? do you ever feel like after people are sitting there pouring their heart and soul out to you, at, at, when it's all said and done and they walk away, you feel like you helped? You Some some of you do. I mean, I've got, I, I could talk for five hours about some of the stuff I've done. Because you actually listen. I do. And I've Bruce done... will say, go sit somewhere else. No, well, Jeff, Jeff McGill. Oh, uh, Jeff is a master. He's a psychiatrist. You know, yeah. he's, a, he's a trained psychologist. Yeah. Yeah, he's had a, and he has many a challenge down at the old Billy Goat. Yes, he did. Absolutely. Uh, okay, but to the flip side of that, there's got to be people com- who come in and are just like happy as fuck and maybe just add a little bit of energy into the place or make maybe they walk away and you feel good. I don't know. It's, it's got to be the antithesis of it. You know what? It? When you have a bar, it's like having an Ouija board. <laughs> Anything comes through. And, and you know that any anything walks through your door. Well, the Yale House was special for a long time. We had these two 60-year-old female bartenders, Patty Talek and Jeanette Proskauer. And basically, when you ordered a drink from them, they just like, "I hope you choke to death, motherfucker." <laughs> that was the, kind of their attitude. But when Jeanette was especially bad because she would tell you what horrible fucking people B and Art, the owners, were at the time. You'd have to sit. You'd come in with, who knows, maybe you would just, maybe everybody in your family was just killed by, by motorcyclists. And you'd walk in, and she would tell you for the next 30 minutes how horrible her life is, what horrible people she works for, what a horrible bar you just walked into. That's not really what you're looking for in a bartender. That's right. There's a bar in San Francisco like that, too, on the on the hate called the Zamzam Room, and the guy who bartended there was named Bruno, and he'd been bartending exactly three years before Noah, and, <laughs> and if you didn't order fast enough, he'd throw you up, you know, it's like, you know, and you think to yourself, yeah, let's go someplace where it's a hassle to get a drink. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, I remember one of them, uh, I never told you this story, but Morgan told me this gal was being threatened by a local street gang. Uh, the, the bartender, I think it was... Tr- yeah, no, it would have been Jeanette. Jeanette. And so I sat, in I, the front, the I, sat, I sat in the front window here with a 9 millimeter in my hand. 
uh, with a pistol in my hand. The guy was standing out front. He, he looked over behind him and he saw the gun in my hand and he took he, his eyes lit up like banjos and he took off. But uh, that was my one little connection with the with the uh, old town alehouse. That well, was that was in my cowboy days. <laughs> I don't do that now. I, I shuffleboard now. Yeah. <laughs> no, there there was a little of that going on on the street back in uh, back in the eighties. Yeah, late late 70s, early 80s. Yeah. There was a lot of uh, yeah, a lot of some. In fact, at O'Rourke's, which is just down the block, yeah, uh, they used to have dart tournaments, and they had like, I think it was a Brit or somebody, an Irish guy or somebody, came over there, be and they went out to have a, a smoke a joint or something in the back and got their throats slit. Uh, there was. Uh, oh yeah, I, I I used to love a Bubba O'Rourke's back in the late 80s. Oh really? I, I, had, really? I had the two, top two floors of an old girlfriend of mine. And it was very interesting. It really was. It was like Benny Hill. I'd be lying in bed, waiting to hear the first. And as soon as as soon as I heard that, bar time. I was downstairs, <laughs> and I ran into Brian Denny one night, and I did my yeah. He my, was there a lot. My Jackie Gleason. Hi, Mr. Denny. <laughs> Craigie yeah. Guggenheim. Yeah, he was a terrible driver. I mean, he'd come and oh. just beat the shit. He was a big guy, too. No, but he, he looked like Boulder Dam with legs. But he'd get he'd get his ass kicked. Oh, really? Uh, oh, yeah. He kept black eyes and shit like that. <laughs> oh, yeah. But I remember when I... No, nice I, guy. I, I love Brian. He's a nice man. I, I told... I, when O'Rourke's moved over to Halston Street, I think I told him a couple weeks ago, but I'll say it again, what the hell. And Denny, I walk in, and Ron Dean, who was a oh, I know Ron. Yeah, Ron's a character. Ron's a character. He was a, he was in the Fugitive and a bunch yeah. of other movies. Oh, yeah. he, was, he, was he, was Tom, he was Tom Cruise's uncle in Cocktail. But he used to oh, drive yeah. a he used to drive a horse carriage, yeah. and he was taking classes at Second City. He always had a toothpick. But uh, he actually made a career out of out of acting. I think he did a little time too. Yes, he did. Yeah. yeah. But but anyway, so he's in there with Denny, and Denny he is sober as a judge, and, Den- and Dean is real drunk. And Dennehy's daughter, I guess, was taking drama, studying drama at Northwestern. So they just sat down next to me. So I'm sitting next to Dennehy, and I just said, so you're not drinking anymore? You know, and he says, when you get up in the morning and you tiptoe out to your car to see if there's any blood on it, you stop drinking. <laughs> and I think that made sense. I think yeah. I, uh, that does make sense. Yeah. I think it's a good sign. I always yeah, tell he, people, if you take a pee that has a head on it, you've had a good night. <laughs> <laughs> Oh Jesus! Um, so your bar is historic. It's known for its literary. Uh, oh, it's if, if you if you haven't been there, folks, go out. It's really a cool bar. It's really a great food. Sunday roasts. Yeah. Some of my favorite. There won't be any sports on the TV, no, probably. And, but and, uh, and none of our food's authentic. It's good. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's a. Uh, it, uh, I've had it 36 years, and it just goes to show you. If you stay in one place long enough, all roads lead to Rome. You know, all you have to do is stay in business. Well, I mean, I, I, I'll say this again. that I, I definitely think that both of your establishments are successful um, because they, they have a uniqueness to them, but also because uh, you're there. Oh, there's no question. <laughs> I know you think that. Yeah, explain that to Toby. <laughs> we love him. Yeah, he's all right. Um... Is there anything else you want to tell us about the Red Lion before we sign off? You know what? I don't know how long I'll be there. Um, as I said, there's a, the old Jewish saying, if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. But I'll be there. If you have any problems, you can come by. I'm there from 4 o'clock in the afternoon on Wednesdays through Sundays. You know, I can give you at least a half an hour. You know. <laughs> <laughs> But you gotta buy something. You know. <laughs> only fools. Yeah, that's all, 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 only fools and horses work for nothing. Well, listen, as as a as a lover of history, as a lover of bars, and as a lover of beer, one of the things I love about Collins' beer list is that he either has British beer or he has German beer. Right. Right. That's because of the, right. the, the your personal connection. The House there. of Saxe Coburg. Yeah. Speaking that's, of wars. Right. Yeah. And both sides of my family hate the French. So, <laughs> so you, I mean, you have some really great imports yeah. uh, available. I'm, in, I'm introducing a couple of new ones on tap, too. The goddamn English can't keep their imports up, so I've had to take stuff off, and I've replaced it with a German beer, which the Germans know how to make and import beer. You know, I have no problems in, importing German beer, but the English, for some reason, you know, if they ever hang you, send the English for the rope. 
I mean, but you've got some real, like, doozies. You've got some Young's Chocolate Stout. Yep. You've got uh, yep. some Old Speckled Hen. Well, I've got Bellhaven Ale, Bellhaven uh, Stout. Scottish, yep. 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 You've got, but then you've got, like, Reisdorf Kolsch. Reisdorf Kolsch. It comes from a city my dad bombed in World War II. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you've got a, literally every single tap handle you have exactly. is British or German, most of it import, which is great. Well, you know. Because it's so hard to find that. It is. You know, anybody can carry craft beer, you know. It's, yeah. Uh, but it's, it, uh, me, I'm a traditionalist. I like, I'm a, I like old standbys. Yeah. And I, I just, I, I like to stick with what you, stick with what you know. That's right. all. Stick with what you know. Well, but then you've got some really good whiskeys on there. Yeah. You got some great. You got a great wine list. I mean, well, like there's, it's definitely a place. Everything affordable for too. Yeah, I, you know, for sure. I'd rather have you come back twice a week than once every two months. <laughs> you know. Yeah. It ain't, it ain't rocket science. You know, the only rocket science is about this is personality. You know, and it, I, I don't get. You know, the difference between a barman and a mixologist, eighteen minutes. <laughs> There's a lot of truth to that, too. I don't care whether you're a mixologist. If you're a mixologist, go get a job across the street and be, a th- be an actor. You yeah. Know? <laughs> you know, if you know something about psychology, I'll hire you, you know, or history or literature or whatever. You know, but. So when, when you say you'll give people a half hour, just buy something, it's really not difficult to buy something. No, from exactly. The, from the beverages to the food. Yeah. I'm telling you, Sunday roasts, man. Sunday roasts are, are the best, it, it traditional good. British Sunday roasts. Yeah, I had a bad review from some English twit uh, a while ago, and I, and I thought, you know what? You, well, they, you're, well, you're just, you're, 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 your taste buds are in culture shock, that's all. You know, everything is bland. As I said, I had an English guy send back the bangers and mash once. I said, what's the matter? He goes, it's called too much taste. Oh, my God. <laughs> that's ridiculous. That's true. Uh, anyway, uh, any any final questions for Colin? Genius. I think we covered it. Okay. I, I had a few things to say about World War One, but I can we'll save say them. it. No. Well, I'll say it. Yeah. Had we not been, had we not gotten involved in World War One, I, I think there's a strong chance that there wouldn't have been a World War Two. I agree with you. I think had Germany won. Or at least fought to a draw. A draw. A draw. Because that's, that's, that's what would have happened. That's what would have happened. The, the yeah. worst thing was that would have happened was they would have taught the French how to work. Yeah. I mean, there, there would just uh, it just would have been nobody would have had any more energy. We came in, right. tilted the scale, the Versailles Treaty, that's and guess right. what? You get we, Adolf Hitler. And we got we we became a lender nation too in 1917, uh, uh, and that's what he says. Very true. Well, that would have been curious, huh? Oh, no. Uh, it would have been, uh, uh, European Jewry would not have disappeared. Uh, That's true. Uh, That's which was true. the glue that held culturally Europe together. And uh, I, I could go on about that on a, on a different show. But I, I agree with Bruce completely. Well, when, when our country goes to war again, we'll have to have you back for some analysis. Then we're going to put on duck soup. <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, Colin, thank you so much for being our guest. It's always a treat. Uh, it's, it's a treat to actually have you not behind the bar. It's so nice once. to be here. It's the animal out of his original habitat. <laughs> yeah, people, people, don't, wild. People, yeah. don't, people don't recognize me, Bruce, outside of my original habitat. Well, we, we got to kick Kogan in the ass and get another get, get McGill down yeah, here. Do. Oh, my God. I, I love that show. I love, I love oh, Bruce is the highlight of the show really oh i have but i mean i have a good supporting cast too we do <laughs> i learned you know i was an actor for 16 years i learned all my blocking movement and forgetting all my lines working behind a bar <laughs> um yeah so anyway uh, uh colin thank you again always a treat to oh, chat it's my pleasure uh, I'll, I'll come see you again soon uh clown thanks for turning the knobs doing your thing turn of the knob it always gets down to that. I haven't heard that in two days. <laughs> hey, hey, maybe that's a good, hey, God, maybe that's the title, Turning the Knob. No, the title's Colin. No, no. Oh, okay. Yeah. She, she said, give me nine we'll inches. We'll save Turning the Knob. She said, give me nine inches to make it hurt, so I screwed her three times and hit her over the head with a two-by-four. <laughs> Jesus. Oh, oh, you like that one, huh? <laughs> that one hit home, huh? You guys are all the same. We are. <laughs> I'm, I'm past that now. <laughs> Believe me, I'm, I'm out the pasture eating grass. Don't I know. Worry. I really do. I, I used to come into the red line to also like sit there and read and drink, but I don't even bother doing that anymore because I'll just listen to this guy. It's 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 more entertaining than whatever oh, yeah. whatever book I've got. My my Native American name is Two Tongues Lebeau. <laughs> Mine's uh, a hummingbird. 
My yeah. porn name is Nikki Lichter. Yeah, but I bet you didn't win back-to-back -back international pussy licking contests back in 63 and 64. No, but I wrote the country western song, Let Go of My Ears, I Know What I'm Doing. Well, I wrote the one, Get Your Dick Out of My Mouth Because I'm Kissing You Goodbye. <laughs> and on that note, <laughs> I, think that, I think we can wrap it up. Ay, ay, ay. Say goodnight, genius. Goodnight, genius. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll catch you next time. Bye.